Blog Talk Radio. Challenging, thought-provoking, insightful. This is the Ninja Pastor with Sunday's God in Country with Dr. Sean. Hosted by nationally known speaker, Reverend Dr. Sean Michael Greener. Not your typical reverend. Dr. Sean is a proud U.S. military veteran, former law enforcement officer, founder of the internationally regarded executive protection team. Through his riveting national speaking, this ninja pastor tells it like it is. This show is biblically and politically engaged in the battle to save our country, with a pedal to the metal, with this Sunday's edition of Sundays with Dr. Sean. Buckle up. Here's your host, the author of the critically acclaimed book, Excellence Killed the Church, How Mediocrity is Destroying America, Reverend Dr. Sean, the Ninja Pastor, with today's message. Well, 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 here we are, last message of uh, 2015, and... Pat, if you were here, you'd be having, what is that, cheesy popcorn? Cheesy poofs, uh, and you'd be having good stuff. There was good food, some homemade soup. We got all kinds of desserts, as you might imagine. We're going to be talking about uh, end-of-year goals. There's a lot of desserts on that table, let me tell you. (laughs) There's a lot of people that are like, get it out of my house or I'll never achieve my goal. So uh, perhaps apropos the uh, the title of today's message is How to Begin Again, Starting to Finish. Uh, tonight, let's remember my friend Chris Cahalan, who is listening from his hospital bed, and uh, I think intensive care there in Minnesota. He had to go on a feeding tube. Uh, we, we were hoping to avoid that, but it turns out that was the right thing because he uh, he has consumed nutrition, and tomorrow he's going to try carrot juice. So this is good because uh, his bowels weren't working and they've worked now, and that's really critical when you have half of your guts cut out. Uh, we also want to pray for, uh, you know, his healing in, inside. There's so much done. We want to pray that his body knits together. Also, my friend Eric, uh, he can also use your prayers, as also Carson. And the update from Carson is Carson's doing great again. So praise God for that. We're excited about that. We also need to pray for our soldiers and our Gold Star families. Holidays are absolutely brutal for them. So we need to remember that. Listen, we also need to remember that our prayers, what our prayers are, are petitions to God, the one entity in the galaxy and the galaxies beyond that can actually change anything, that can make a difference. And so when we pray, we are petitioning on another person's behalf. And I want to ask you, how hard... Would you want someone petitioning on your behalf? We also tonight need to pray for a man named Joe who was involved in a very serious motorcycle accident. He's had a series of surgeries, and uh, he's important to people who are important to us, and so we we need to pray for him. Uh, He is in intensive care, and we need to pray for his complete recovery. So here we are, and welcome, folks, in chat. We're glad to have you and all the families gathered. We had a blowing of the uh, shofar. Uh, Wes was handled that for us. He's doing a great job with that, and we're glad to have him back from his uh, travel abroad. Also, we want to pray for our brother, by the way, before I get started, who is overseas with his comrades-in-arms, 
We want to pray for their safety and for their emotional well-being, and we certainly miss him and, and miss them. And it's difficult to be away uh, on Christmas and, and the major holidays. It is a, a challenging thing. But we thank God for them. So at the end of this service, I'm not sure what music we'll have today, but we're going to have something, and we're going to have prayer and Q&A. If you are here, if you're in the Newark, Delaware, uh, or it really, honestly, uh, Delaware, Maryland, Pennsylvania, New Jersey area, it's very accessible. So if you go to the ninjapastor.com, send us a message. We'll send you where we are, and that way uh, you'll be able to come next week, and we'll look forward to having you. So here we are at the ledge of 2015 and really at the edge of 2016. How to begin again, starting to finish. You've been here before. So have I. Right? For those of us who are more than one year old, we've been here before. We've been through a end of one year and beginning of another. So if I'm being honest, so have I. I've been here before. In my case, speaking totally and completely for myself, spent an awful lot of time staring off into space. And there might be a ton of stuff going on around me, and yet I'm still staring off into space. All kinds of activities, all kinds of buzz, noise, people. And I'm staring off into space, asking myself, what did I do with the time and resources God gave to me in the year 2015? What became of the initiatives and plans that I had for 2015? What became of the plans and promises I made at the end of 2014? You know, when I realized I hadn't lived up to myself in 2014, I hadn't fully utilized the time and resources God gave to me in 2014. I made a lot of promises and so on and so on. Plans. We have no shortage of plans, do we? We always have plenty of plans. We plan to plan and we plan meetings to plan to plan. We plan planning meetings for planning. We'll plan on that. And year after year we make these plans and it's not necessarily that they're bad or unworthy plans or goals. On the contrary, many times the plans are excellent on the surface. But are they really your goals? Are they the ones God has for you and your year and your life? Did you ask God in the first place? Did you seek to include him from the start? Or did you assume that because they were positive things or good stuff, that they must be what he would want. Hey, these are good things to do, so God must really be excited that I'm doing these really good things. Doesn't it make sense? By the way, we miss our Philadelphia contingent today. God bless you. Hope they fix your TV in time for tomorrow to watch you know, all the stuff you're going to watch. Do we include God from the start, or because we think our plans are positive, we say, well, I don't need to. I plan on doing good stuff, so I don't need to include him. I don't need to ask him. I don't need to ask him what he wants. Often we make big plans first, and then we ask God to bless them. What is that old saying? You know, uh, It's easier to ask forgiveness than permission. So we make the big plans first, and then we ask God, hey, could you bless these plans that I have? In all fairness to the one, capital O, who knows the future and made each of us, if it isn't his will for you, then you don't really want him to encourage or endorse your wrong-headed plan. Now, do you? Sometimes we choose a plan based on what we think others want for us. 
well, you should do this. You're really good at this or that. Or, boy, you're you're really talented in this area, or you have a natural proclivity toward this or that. You should really do something with that. So others say, this is what you ought to do, and we do it. We do it based on what society says. We should have Society says you should achieve this in your life and your career, so you should do this because this is naturally on the path. I know somebody right now that's a, a national quality swimmer, but you know what? Hates to swim. Hates to swim. Everybody says, you know, this is your ticket to college. You could go to college. You could swim. It's easy for you. You don't even barely have to train, and you're going to win everything. You'll get a scholarship. Hates to swim. Was miserable. Quit swimming, happy as can be. Took up another sport, happy as can be. It's interesting how that happens. But society tells us a lot of times what we should plan for our life and our career. This doesn't make the goal bad either. It really doesn't. But it doesn't make it right for you. We wonder why each year we don't achieve that goal. Because we're dealing with goals that aren't right for us. Jeremiah 29.11, you know, if you've spent one minute and 52 seconds in church ever in your lifetime, you've heard that verse, Jeremiah 29.11. You remember this passage. For I know what plans I have in mind for you, says Adonai. Plans for well-being, not for bad things, so that you can have hope and a future. When you call to me and pray to me, I will listen to you. When you seek me, you will find me, provided you seek for me wholeheartedly. And I will let you find me, says Adonai. I could preach a whole sermon. I could do a whole hour and a half on that verse alone. That verse alone. Because we gloss over that so fast, we read through it. I just want to go back and touch on one thing, a couple things, maybe four things. For I know what plans I have in mind for you. Who's speaking? Says Adonai. So who should we ask what we should do? Adonai. We ask God. We don't, ourselves, yes, we should say, we should have conversations with God. God, I sure love doing this or that. Is this something you want me to do? Is this why you gave me this immense talent to do this thing or that thing? Sometimes, how many times has the calling of a person, a great person of God, been what they hate? Right? What they hate. How many times? So many times they they have to do something reluctantly. God, oh, I wish you wouldn't have called me to do that. But it, it clearly reads here, for I know what plans I have in mind... For you, his mind. His mind. So what do we have to do? We have to seek the mind of Christ. He says he has plans for us for well-being, not for bad things. And why does he have that? So that we can have hope and a future. But see, there's some things tied to that. There's some stuff we have to do. When you call to me, not your friends, not your family, not your neighbor, not the career counselor at college. First, who do you need to call? When you call to me, I will listen to you. When you seek me 
you will find me. And then the big word that we read over all too quickly, provided. The if-then proposition, here it is, in big block letters, provided you seek for me wholeheartedly, wholeheartedly, and I will let you find me. When is the last time we did anything wholeheartedly? I'm going to talk more about that in a minute. I would like to suggest strongly here and now that the proper way to go about starting your New Year's resolutions, we call them, or goals, or analyst list, whatever you want to call it, whatever name you want to call it. But sometimes, you know, I do have to say this. Sometimes what you call something is significant. You know, we use words, and words sometimes can give life and breath to things God don't, He doesn't want us to have anything to do with. But we give the enemy an inroad into our home by first giving the enemy an inroad into our heart. Some of you really, uh, well, no, this is a, this is a church the, the group here. Oh, by the way, welcome to Australia. I know they probably aren't going to listen live given the time difference, but I found out this morning or yesterday, I can't remember what time it was, that we have uh, a listener, at least one listener from Australia who was so kind to send me a note from down under uh, saying, hey, I found your show. I listened to your show. So, Jesse Campbell, thank you very much for listening. It's great to have you. Tell all your friends over there in, in the land down under. We're so glad to have you. So so the thing is, is no matter what you call your list, your to-do list, your analyst list, your your RPM, I call it an RPM list, your your resolutions, whatever you call it, the most significant thing you have to do is first seek God and His plan for your life, your year, for you personally, for your heart, for your soul, for your mind. Seek Him first. Go to the well that has the living water first before clouding your mind with so many other people. You know, one thing I give advice People ask me for some dumb reason. They get they ask me, can I have some advice? And I say, okay, if you're asking. Uh, I know my family would like me to start charging for it. Uh, but here's the thing. People come and ask me. They say, you know, I asked my father for uh, advice on relationship building and staying off alcohol. And you know what? That drunk, poor, or that drunk, friendless fool told me this or that, and that was the worst advice I ever had. And I said, well, does he have friends? No. Why? Because he's a drunk, bore, mean person. Tell you what, don't ask them. Hey, I went to so-and-so, my parents, for money advice. And you know what? I did what they said, and I'm poorer now than I was before. Oh, that's strange, coming from rich people. Rich people, they're not rich, they're poor. They're barely making it. Well, Well, then why did you go to somebody that clearly could not I, look, if I have a car problem, guess who I'm going to ask? John Stabley. Why? Because he's an expert at fixing cars. I'm going to do that. If I have a marketing question, I'm going to ask Jerry. Frankly, if I have a cooking question, I'm going to ask Billy Bob, and he's going to tell me how to cook something awesome. So, right? So if I have questions, you go to the – if I want to know how to weld two pieces of metal together expertly and beautifully, I'm going to go to this guy. This is what I'm saying to you. We often go to the wrong source. And how many times we think that because we're born into a certain family that we're supposed to ask our parents. Look, sometimes your parents are the last person in the world you should ever ask 
for advice. Why? Look at their life. Has their life been a train wreck? Is their life a train wreck? Why go to them? Why look back at your childhood and lament how jacked up things were? There's nothing anybody can do about it now. There's nothing anybody can do about it now. I had a counselee one time come to me and say, I've been to 15 counselors. You're the 16th counselor now. I just need somebody to help me. My mom has really wrecked me in my life. How old is your mom? Well, she's 70-something years old. How's her health? Well, it's not very good. In fact, she's she's terminally ill. Okay. And so what is it you were going to ask her? You were going to you were going to ask her what? To help you with what? Well, just why did she do this? I'm trying to understand. I said, "Here's here's what you should do. Not ask her. Love on her. She's dying. Her she's not going to give you some great epiphany. All you're going to do is send her to her maker, sad and sorrowful that she wrecked your childhood." You can't sometimes you can't talking to people is not going to fix a thing. You've got to talk to the one who creates the people, who makes the mountains, who moves the oceans. By the way, hello to our friend in Texas. Good to have you listening. We miss you. Come back and see us soon. Anyway, the point is, the point is, don't go to the wrong source. Stop going to the wrong source. They don't have the answer for you. They're just going to lead you astray or they're going to tell you, hey, this is what I think you should do. Who do you go to? You go to experts. You go to experts. There's no better expert than God. Moving on. Some of you might lament, I sought God, and he didn't answer. Well, we have a lot of Bible-believing folks here. We have an atheist, an atheist who listens, a famous atheist. Welcome. I'm glad to have you, and it's an honor to have you. And he, I hope it's okay. I'm not saying his name, so I hope he's okay with it. But he said to me last week, he said, wow, you're really working on me. Well, it's not me working on you, brother. It's It's... The power of God through his word. You go to the source. You go to the source. The thing is, I hear this a lot. I say in a counseling setting or just friend to friend, well, what did you do? Well, I've done everything. No, no, I mean, what did you do to fix this problem? I've done everything. I literally have done everything. Well, let's make a list of what you did just so I can know, so I don't recommend something you've already done 900 times. Well, I've done everything. I know you've said that. I heard that. I heard that part. How about let's make a list? Well, I did this, and then they they say that elaborate thing, and then they say that elaborate thing again in a different way, which is still the same thing. I say, okay, well, that's 1.1 things. Tell me what else you did because you've done everything, and I know there's more than one thing that comprises everything. I'm not all that smart on the English language, but that I do know. And I'm not good at math, but I do know one is not everything, unless it's God. Well, that's all I did, but it didn't work. I tried everything. It didn't work. No, you tried one thing. People don't tell me that you you sought God and he didn't answer. God's listening. Are you listening? Are you listening? Let's look, because we're Bible-believing folks here, let's look at what God says. Proverbs eight seventeen. I love those who love me. Let me say that again. I love those who love me. And those who seek me, find me. Let me read it again in the right tenor. Let me see, because I probably messed up. I'm not. I'm new to reading scripture. I love those who 
love me. And those who seek me find me. Hebrews 11.6, let's not stop there. Without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Matthew 7, 7 and Luke eleven nine ask, and it shall be given to you. Seek, and ye shall find. The Bible says that if you seek him and his will, you will find your answer. One key you'll notice, however, is diligence. We see in those verses, look, wholeheartedly. We could use the word diligently. We could say intensely. The key is diligence, which is persistence in seeking and seeking and seeking and seeking with the belief that you will get an answer. And I'll emphasize Matthew 6.33, but seek first his kingdom and and his righteousness. Seek first. How much time? Look, I looked around. I looked around. I yell at my son about this all the time, but it could replace your son with my son or, or anybody else's kid. What do kids do? You send them to look for something. They walk toward the room. They go, I don't see it. He says from the back, the boy from the back says, I don't know what he's talking about. Boy, lost me there. But, you know, we all were like that when we were kids. It's not a new thing. I know if my dad sent me to find something, he said it's in the front room. It's in there. If I came back without it, guess what I would get? I'd find his hand on my backside. What you didn't do is you didn't walk by the door and go, don't see it. Right? You have to seek diligently. You have to get in there and find it. Man, I've turned everything upside down. To find whatever it is he finds worthwhile enough to send me to look for it. Seek first. That's the first step. Don't jump to the next step and go, well, I looked and didn't find it. Look for half a second, a nanosecond. Oh, I didn't find it. I'm not picking on, on him. I'm just saying to translate that to our what we're looking for in life. You've got to look hard. You've got to be persistent. You've got to pray persistent. You've got to seek diligently. Look, if you're, if you're at a crossroads in your life, you better learn to pray bigger and harder and more persistently than you've ever prayed in your life. And then learn what that looks like. Learn what that feels like. Because you're going to have to do it a lot. Luke 10.42. But there is only one thing that is essential. Miriam has chosen. Miriam? Mary? Has chosen the right thing, and it won't be taken away from her. Luke 10.42 in the complete Jewish Bible. Uh, But one thing is needful. Mary chose that good part. What did she choose? What one thing was needful. Remember? Mary and Martha, the, the ones mad at the other. I'm running around here cleaning up, doing dishes, making food for people, cutting up the the ham. No, wait, we're Jews. We don't have ham. Uh, we're tour observant. We're not going to eat that. Anyway, I'm cutting up the, the lamb and everything and, and, and cleaning up, making seats for people on the floor because that's where we used to sit, sweeping up. And what are you doing? Sitting over there at the feet of Jesus. Told you there was a lot to do. Right? And then she goes up and complains. You know, if you only knew 
what I had to do to make this place. This, this, this don't look like this automatically. And Yeshua said, calm down. Relax a bit. Slow down, slam dancer. Mary was choosing the one thing. The one thing. She chose sitting at Yeshua's feet and seeking she received. Seeking first. Seeking's got to come first. Sometimes you've got to shut it all off. You've got to shut everything off, folks. I love technology. Look, I'm using technology technology all up in here, all up in my face. You know, nobody at home or in Australia would be hearing me right now, right? If I didn't have technology, they wouldn't hear me. I can yell, but I'd start coughing before I got yelling loud enough for Australia to hear me. You've got to seek first. You see, I said this in the beginning, and, and I guess I should explain as I go. How do you start what you should finish? Look, it's okay to analyze your life. It's okay to look it over. Some are retired. I, this one here doesn't know what retirement is. I think he misunderstood what that word is. He's the hardest working retired person I ever saw in my life. But how many of us have? You're probably not far from retirement. You're, I don't think you ever will retire. I can't picture that we got some here that are retired or disabled. We've got some here that are, are they, they went from one thing to another thing. They, they said, okay, this season is finished. Now I'm all, and they didn't take a long break to think over things. They just got into it, doing stuff. There's one person in here I'm pointing to right now. Husband is deployed. She's busy about helping soldiers. She's busy about helping soldiers' families and Gold Star families. By the way, hello, I think Charlie is listening. Charlie Strange, good to have you, Gold Star Dad. Angie says hello. We love you. We miss you. You need to come down here. We'll feed you right. And, brother, I know you like to eat. I've eaten with you. I know you like to eat. It's okay to analyze, right? How should, what should you do? How should you start? How do you start what you should finish? What do you think of your 2015 in review? It matters what you think. I don't want you to think that I think, no, you just you, you get some bolt of lightning and you go a different direction and you just turn whichever way the lightning goes. That's divining. We don't, we don't ask for that. It's a relationship, a communication. People said, I prayed to God, and he didn't give me the answer. Well, that's because you were shouting at him, and you didn't hush long enough to hear his answer. Look, there's two things. There's the macro and there's the micro, right? I like to talk in terms like that. The macro side of you looks at the year in review for the country, for the globe, political considerations, implications, developments, declines, victories, abject failures. What went completely and totally sideways and into the ditch? What could we all say were sources of regret regarding our country on the macro side in 2015? Couldn't we all agree? That as a country, the United States of America, we are in deep, deep trouble. Looking back now, we have a majority. Now that begs the question, a majority of what? A majority of wimps and power-mad weaklings that make promises don't, stand, don't intend to keep. There's one that I do know doesn't care how many friends he loses or how many friends he doesn't make, who is in Washington doing exactly what he promised he would do. Ted Cruz, 2016. Take it or leave it. The Speaker of the House, we have a majority now in Congress and a majority in the Speaker of the House. Yet it seems like we're regressing. We're going backwards. We have fewer rights. 
We have less national and state sovereignty. We're less safe as a country. We are witnesses of the rape and murder of our own country, and yet what are we? We are silent. We are silent, feckless witnesses to the further degrading of our freedom and the further invitation with our silent permission. The invited invasion of Islam into every corner of this once free country. Ladies and gentlemen, history is watching. We the people, the much maligned but all too polite, you know, we're the racist, extremist, bigoted, intolerant Christians running around clinging into our Bibles and guns. We're Christians with our ever so polite folded hands and our pursed lips. We're praying in the face of tyranny. Now we're facing tyranny and we're praying with our polite folded hands and our politely pursed lips. We're praying this in the face of tyranny yet again that God would move the heart of our president, our leaders in government, and do what is right and good. Here's a free message at no cost or additional obligation to you. No free Ginsu knives, because I know somebody won't give that up. Here's the free secret. Here's the secret sauce. The enemies in our elected and selected United States government aren't going to change because we're praying for them. Why? Because they aren't misguided. They aren't just making honest mistakes. They aren't... They're, they're not in need of a changed heart. They're in need of a changed soul. They're doing exactly what they set out to do. No, they know the evil which they do. They know and intend each evil act they perpetrate against the people whom they swore. They swore to us, some on a Quran. They swore an oath to protect and defend the Constitution. I want you to understand that any Muslim in the, in the federal or state government, judge or otherwise, military, cannot take the oath that we take to swear to uphold and defend the Constitution from enemies foreign and domestic. The very tenets of their faith preclude them, but the very tenets of their faith also give them a wide berth to say what is not true to advance Islam. Nidal Hassan, the major who shot up all those people at Fort Hood, I want you to understand that something didn't happen down the road one day. He didn't, he didn't get radicalized by some movie. Hillary Clinton says, you know, happened to Benghazi, which we now know is a big fat lie. That's not what happened. When he joined the military, he was radical. And yet because of political correctness, again, Christians who were afraid to say, no, 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 Islam has no place in our military. Islam has no place on our law enforcement. No Muslim has any place in our courts of land because they believe our courts are corrupt and unenforceable. Why? Because Sharia, the law of Islam, is foremost. Nothing subjugates that. Our government, in many respects, the people that were praying these pursed little polite prayers, God will change the heart. They are the enemy. Instead of praying that God changed their heart, we should pray that he gives us victory when we defeat them so soundly and so powerfully and so unmistakably that none dare not take up their sword against us. They're the enemy, and history is watching. I mentioned Charlie Strange. There are hundreds of thousands of dead soldiers who fought for our freedom and died fighting. Six more died over this past week. They reside under white crosses, and if they could speak to us now, they would not speak. They would scream at us. 
History is watching, and history is crying. Listen to me. You need to stop praying that God will change the hearts of the government leaders. You need to start praying that God changes your heart. Start praying that you'll start acting decisively and effectively on what we should all by now, we should all by now know. This you should most assuredly know by now. Washington, D.C. is not, as they say in their political speeches, on either side, broken. Washington, D.C. is broken, and you need to send me, and we're going to fix it. Washington, D.C. isn't broken. The left, the right, both are messed up beyond all repair. All right, let's talk about the micro side. I got fired up enough. Let's talk about the micro side. That looks at the things, when you're looking at your micro side, you're looking at the things in your life, your home, your heart and soul. What went right? What went completely and totally sideways into the ditch? What were your failings? What were your wins? Did you have any wins? I know there are people within the sound of my voice who had not a single win in their life in 2015. The only win was that they're still breathing. Praise God, you have a chance still. Are you closer to God? Are you further away? Who moved from who? Do you want more of God in your life? What would that look like? I know this. You cannot finish what you do not start. I know this, too. You better start. You had better start what you should finish. What in the world? But I promised you I would. This is a teaser. There's not. I'm not going to sell something in a minute, so I've been teasing up till now. I just decided now is probably the time to tell you. What in the world do I mean by that? You should start what you should finish. So you say, okay, yes, you're fine, Dr. Sean. Yes, I want to start. How do I seek God and what do I do? You're in the right place at the right time because here's the answer. There are many excellent books and many different philosophies on the how. Some of those books are based on everything but Scripture. They're useless, they're worthless, they're harmful. Yet there are many, many books, DVDs, blogs, that are helpful, maybe even life-changing. Have you even noticed the best, most effective programs are Bible-based and they're broken down to the simple and obvious? Some resources suggest fasting and prayer to get direction or making a list of people you admire and why you admire them to get an idea of where your heart is being led. Some suggest journaling and specific Bible study. You say, man, God, I need you to speak to me through this scripture. Some say, I just take the Bible. There's a term for it. In, in, uh, in theology uh, and in seminary, we talk about this. The, the idea of I take my Bible, I set it down. And where it opens, I read. Here's a newsflash. It's pretty much going to open to the same page within 10 or 15 pages every single time because it develops a memory. Your Bible, as you sit it down, it's pretty much going to open about the same. So you're going to get really good at that one section. I don't recommend that because it's more like you're asking for magic or divining, and we don't do that. We're told to avoid that. That's why we don't do the Ouija boards and all that mess because that's something of the devil. But sometimes you might go to your prayer closet or your study closet, and you might sit down with your trusted Bible, your scripture that is well-read, oiled from the oil of your fingers and stained with tears from praying through and working with God and fighting God, wrestling with God through his scriptures. And you might sit down with nothing, and God leads you a certain place 
And at the time you read it, you may go, I don't get it, God. I'm even more confused now. Keep at it. Persistence. Keep at it. Don't give up. Keep going to that source. Don't go to, don't go to him and then go, well, I don't understand. He didn't say anything in the past 42 seconds, so now I'm going to go and I'm going to look on the Internet. So I'm going to see what other people have to say. Man, that's not your resource. God is your resource. I'm just saying. I want to talk a minute about people you admire. There's a lot of people in this room that I admire. There's a lot of people in this room that I would ask for advice. Why? Because I know they've been there, they've done it, and they've succeeded. They've done well. And you know what? Some of them have been there, and they've crashed into a ditch once. Don't go ask somebody that keeps crashing into ditches. But you might ask somebody that's crashed into a ditch once and said, hey, I crashed into a ditch once. You know why I did that? Because I was an alcoholic. Because I drank myself awake, and I drank myself to lunch, and I drank myself home. It's the only way I could get through work. I lost friends. I almost died myself. But wait a second. You stopped drinking. How'd you do it? I trusted God. For once in my life, I trusted God. And every day thereafter, I trusted God. Sometimes looking at people who have done something help you. Sometimes specific Bible study. Sometimes journaling. Do you all know what journaling is? You take a daily journal. I have one on my computer. I do it every day. And it's a challenge. Someone challenged me to do it. Someone I respect greatly said, hey, you should write down your thoughts every day. Guess what? I didn't do it. I started doing it, and I'm glad that I did. Let go, let God, as my buddy Craig in upstate New York says. Write it down. Sometimes you'll be shocked at the things you think on a given day. You go back a few weeks later, a few months later, maybe a year later, and you go back and you read, and you say, my goodness, but you know what you have to be? When you're journaling, you have to be honest with yourself. We're going to talk more about that. This is a personal thing. It's whatever whatever works for you. It's a personal thing. You know, over the years, I've learned this very powerful yet simple lesson. Again, this is totally free. Most of us are more afraid of being real with ourselves than any other risk or challenge that we might face. Let me say that again. Some of us, most of us, I would say the majority of us are more afraid of being real with ourselves than going into battle. Facing the real truth about ourselves, most of us are more afraid of that than any other challenge we might face. I'd also suggest to you that your goals shouldn't feel like a burden from the Lord. Let me say that again. It doesn't mean that God's going to give you the easy thing. He's not. Most of the time, I'll tell you the truth, if you are following hard after God, you are in for a rough ride. I'm just telling you the truth. That's the hard, real truth. I'd also like to suggest that Yeshua's yoke is light. It isn't easy, but it is, and it will be meaningful to you. And I'll tell you what else. Even though sometimes the journey is difficult, it has real, lasting joy in it. There's also a mental process of choosing goals that you commit to reaching no matter what. What is no matter what? Have you ever been in a no matter what situation? We often refer to fighting for your life. Oh, I was fighting for my life there. Waiting in the line at at the grocery. I was fighting for my life in there. No, you weren't fighting for your life. There's a lot of people listening. By the way, hello to the Army Ranger who is listening. Army Ranger officers listening. It's an honor to have you. I know you know what it's like to truly be fighting for your life. 
I know a buddy uh, downstate who's fighting for his life, my buddy Eric. I know a buddy who's in Minnesota right now fighting for his life. But it's a no matter what situation. We fight for our lives in no matter what. Man, I got to win no matter what. Have you ever fought for your very life? Do you know what it's like to literally be fighting for your life? Have you ever fought for the life of your children? How about your spouse? How about your love? Have you truly fought with everything you have for just one more breath? I have. I know what that feels like. And no matter what, it's a powerful, intense thing. And you know what? I'll be honest with you. Sometimes the person who's fought with everything they have to live no matter what cannot adequately describe or explain what no matter what is. Sometimes you have to be there for yourself. I want to ask you, honestly, you don't have to answer out loud, and all across America and the, and the United States, uh, all across the America and the world, have you ever fought with your last breath for one more moment with your family? Have you fought with everything you have to simply stand up? I know what that feels like. To stand against the waves breaking against your face. I use that example because... Twice in my life, I almost drowned. Once while surfing with my buddy. I got hit. I don't know how it happened. Uh, I got knocked unconscious. And I was, I was unconscious. Next thing I know, I am underwater, struggling. I didn't even know which way was up. And I'm sucking in seawater. And I'm trying to figure, man, how am I going to live here? This is bad news. I can't get to the top. I can't get to air. i got to have air. By this time, my lungs are burning. And I just, I just would not quit. I'm not dying like this. And I made it to the surface. And that first breath of air that I took was precious. And the best breath of air I ever took. That is the no matter what. Another time I was goofing off. The, the surfing time, I wasn't goofing off. It just caught me by surprise. I didn't see it coming. The next time, I was goofing off. I was at a soccer practice when I was a kid. We played uh, summer soccer. We did this training on the beach because it's hard to run in the sand. And I used to have this little cool little thing where I would run. And as the wave was uh, getting ready to you know, curl over, I would run and I would time it. I would jump. I'd let the wave hit my feet, the instep of my feet, and I'd do a flip. And then I would dive in head first. And people thought it was the coolest thing ever. And I used to love, you know, I would hear it. You know, I'd hear everybody go, ooh, oh, ooh. One of those times, you know what happened? There was no water on the other side. I literally landed on my head. I didn't even have time to get my hands out. I bounced on my head. I was unconscious immediately. My soccer buddies were dragging me, my lifeless body, literally, out of the water. And as I came to, I had a pounding headache. And I said, man, what happened? They said, you crashed and burned, buddy. But that first breath was a no matter what breath. The difference in mindset between list making. Man, I'm a, I need to make a list for what I'm going to do today. Let me say this to you. If you wait to the day to make your list, whatever you want to call it, to-do list, whatever list, if you wait till the day, to make your list, you're too late. You're late for the party. 
you need to set an alarm. In your journal, you need to say, hey, I need to write out what my stuff needs to be for tomorrow, what I need to do. I would suggest that list-making is life-making. What's on your list? I do something called RPM. I don't do to-do lists. I do RPM, which is results, purpose, and massive action plan. The why behind the try. Tony Robbins, you can say what you want about him. I've met him. I've spent uh, several days with him, me and 12 other people uh, on his island, and I can tell you that the man is, first of all, he's six foot seven, and he has a hand that would cover my whole head. But he's one of the nicest men I've ever met. And by the way, he is a powerful testimony of faith in Christ and lives it and walks it. He talks about how we always overestimate what we can accomplish in a year and we always underestimate what we can do in five years. What that means is that goals worth achieving need to be goals you want to keep and pursue as a lifestyle, not just once a year. Hey, this would be nice to do. List. I've changed my life. I've changed how I eat. I've changed what I eat. I've changed the volume of what I eat. I've changed the times that I eat. I do physical therapy now, and it hurts like the dickens. I don't honestly have any relief from pain. In fact, I'll be honest with you, the the PT and all that stuff, I'm I'm actually in more pain. But I'm closer to warrior fit than, I, than I've been in a long time. And I feel good about it. It's a lifestyle, folks. People say, I'm going on a diet. When do they say that? Along about this time, December 28th, 29th, 30th, 31st. No, I'm going on a diet. Starting first of the year, I'm going to go on a diet. Right? It's got to be a lifestyle. Point blank. For me, it's a life-saving style. Since we're talking about new starts, I want to touch on baptism, just because I like the whole notion of baptism. I approach baptism totally differently than any uh, pastor you've ever run across. And there are reasons why. Um, So the ultimate new start. I mean, really, let's talk about it. Baptism, it's the ultimate new start. In many ways, the idea of baptism is what you want to embrace in your goal setting. The idea that the person you are changing, the areas of life that aren't working, are dead to you. You can accomplish all things in Christ. This is, in fact, the whole essence of born-again Christians. By the way, if any of you would be interested, either here, live, or around the world, talk to me about baptism. Send me a message through the Ninja Pastor, the contact page on the ninjapastor.com. I'd be happy to talk to you about it. I'll even come to where you are. Could you not? If it's Florida or Australia, let's do it when it's cold here. I'm just saying. I'm practical, if nothing else, right? What is the origin of baptism? Before we talk about baptism, we hear a lot of talk about baptism, but here's the truth of it. By the time John the Baptist, or by his real Hebrew name, Yochanan the Immerser, came along, it it doesn't seem to have been questioned by that time, oddly enough. It doesn't seem like there's a lot of questions. Well, what are you doing, Duncan people? There's not a lot of of record of that. The source is believed to be uh, in Hebrew ritual cleansing, Kirbet Qumran, which is where the Dead Sea Scrolls, the, the, the caves of Qumran, you've heard of that. Uh, Kirbet Qumran is where the Dead Sea Scrolls were found. And they were found, Mukvot Mikveh, used uh, for a sort of baptism. This makes sense when you consider that Yochanan the Immerser, or John the Baptist, was to prepare the way for Yeshua. And in Hebrew culture, being clean in preparation for something 
holy was significant. And by the way, everyone understood in Hebrew culture, you have to be cleansed before you go do this holy thing. Let me ask you this. In whose name was Yochanan the baptizer, or John the Baptist, baptizing before Yeshua was raised? In the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, died to sin, raised in a likeness and new life in him. Right, you all remember that? The proper form of baptism is in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, as Yeshua designated in Matthew twenty-eight nineteen. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and Son, and the Holy Spirit. The clear command of Yeshua is to baptize this way. But if that is so, then why do we see so many instances in the New Testament where people were immersed in only Yeshua's name? Hmm. I might have given you a little hint there. Acts 2.38, And Peter said to them, Repent and let each of you be immersed in the name of Yeshua HaMashiach, or Jesus Christ, for Jesus the Messiah, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Acts 10.48, And he ordered them to be immersed in the name of Yeshua Christ, or Yeshua HaMashiach. Then they asked him to stay on for a few days. Acts 19.5, And when they heard this, they were immersed in the name of the, of the Lord, Yeshua. The reason they were baptizing, and this is important, in the name of Yeshua, is not that it was a formula, but that the phrase, in the name of, in Hebrew language and culture, means by the authority of, in the authority of. There's a lot of people that, that uh, and I'm, this is, I'm not making fun, but, but it, it is important to understand what you're doing. You don't want to just do stuff and, and not understand what you're doing. A lot of people... We'll just say, Jesus, 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 Jesus. They'll just keep repeating the name of Jesus. And they'll say, well, we're supposed to pray in the name of Jesus. And they don't understand. We're praying in the, the name of Jesus, Ben Yeshua, in the name of, one of Jesus, by the authority of Jesus. But simply just repeating his name over and over and over, or any of the biblical names over and over and over, without, it's, it's a, it's a, uh, it, it, it makes it's, it's a vain utterance. It doesn't make any sense. It's got to, it's got to make sense in what we're doing. So just to simply sit there and repeat, Jesus, 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 it's, it's a vain utterance. It doesn't make any sense. But if we pray in the name of or by the authority of Yeshua, then that is something. That brings power to it. Anyway, we can see proof of this in Acts 4, 7 through 10. And when they had placed them in the center, they began to inquire, by what power? Or in what name have you done this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, If we are on trial today for benefit done to a sick man, as to how this man has been made well, let it be known to all of you and to all of the people of Israel that by the name of Yeshua HaMashiach, the, the Nazarene, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by this name this man stands here before you in good health. The Jews asked, by what power or by in what name have you done this? And Peter answers and says that it was in the name of Yeshua that they had healed. In other words, in the name of Yeshua means that it is by the power and authority found in Christ. Listen, there's other people named Jesus, folks, that aren't Jesus. So if you just sit and repeat Jesus, 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 it, it, it makes no sense, folks. Abandon that. That is a waste of your time and a waste of your spirit. Pray in the authority of Yeshua HaMashiach. And things change. 
There's going to be a lot of people that are mad because they're going to lottery machine right now. In the name of Jesus, by the authority of Jesus, I want a winning lottery ticket. That doesn't quite work that way. Look, we see this, the power and authority found in Christ. We see this usage in many places in the New Testament, Acts 3, 6. But Peter said, I do not possess silver and gold, but what I do have, I give to you. In the name of Yeshua HaMashiach, the Nazarene, walk. Acts 16, 18, and she continued doing this for many days. But Paul was greatly annoyed and turned and said to the Spirit, I command you in the name of Yeshua HaMashiach to come out of her. And it came out at that very moment. 1 Corinthians 5, 4-5, In the name of our Lord Yeshua, when you are assembled, and I with you in spirit, with the power of our Lord Yeshua, I have decided to deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of his flesh, that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Yeshua. 1 Corinthians six eleven, And such were the same of you, but you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Yeshua Hamashiach and in the spirit of our God, Ephesians 5.20. Always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Yeshua Hamashiach to God, or the Lord Jesus Christ, even the Father. Second Thessalonians 3.6. Now we command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Yeshua Hamashiach, or the Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep aloof from every brother who leads an unruly life, and not according to the tradition which you received from us. Look, as you can see, in the name of the Lord Yeshua and in the name of Yeshua speaks of the authority of Yeshua. Therefore, when someone is properly immersed, they are immersed in the name of Yeshua. That is, by the authority of Yeshua. Therefore, when they are properly immersed in the name of Yeshua, they should say, I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, just as Yeshua commanded us to do. Listen, if you're like me, you think of the idea of baptism as an idea of new beginnings. Starting fresh. We die to our old self, raised in the resurrection and newness of Christ. But why do Christians, let me ask you, why do Christians do that? Why do they get baptized only once? Bazinga. Trick question. We shouldn't. There's nothing that says you're to be baptized one time. We fall down. We get up. Saints are only sinners who get up. I'm going to read you this. This so powerfully affected me the very first time I heard this song. I was so moved in the spirit, tears streaming down my face. This was years ago. A song written and sung, and it's been sung by many others, but written and sung by Bob Carlyle. He's the guy who wrote and sang Butterfly Kisses, a song that if, God forbid, my daughter... Uh, at the first, the daddy-daughter dance when she gets married, God forbid, if she, I don't even know if I'll get through it. Look, let's be honest, and I'm not positive I'm going to get through the wedding to start with without boo-hooing, but his same guy, Butterfly Kisses, We Fall Down by Bob Carlyle. Cursing every step of the way, he bore a heavy load. To the market ten miles away, the journey took its toll. And every day he passed a monastery's high cathedral walls, and it made his life seem meaningless and small. And he wondered how it would be to live in such a place, to be warm, well-fed, and at peace, to shut the world away. So when he saw a priest who walked for once beyond the iron gate, he said, Tell me of your life inside the place. And the priest replied, We fall down. We get up. 
we fall down, we get up. We fall down, we get up, and the saints are just sinners who fall down and get up. Disappointment followed him home. He'd hoped for so much more, but he saw himself in a light he had never seen before. Because if the priest who fell could find the grace of God to be enough, then there must be some hope for the rest of us. There must be some hope left for us because we fall down, we get up. We fall down, we get up. And the saints are just the sinners fall down and get up. Let me ask you another question. It seems silly to ask this, being a pastor. Why does there have to be a pastor at baptism? Bazinga, there doesn't. Trick question. In Hebrew culture, at that time and now, there doesn't have to be a pastor or clergy there. They were only there to hold your hair and cloak under the water so to ensure you are fully immersed. In other words, you're all the way dead. Fully dead before you are raised in the newness of Christ. You can, in fact, immerse and baptize yourself as long as you do it in the name or by the authority of Yeshua HaMashiach, the risen King. I remember coming up as a kid and that independent fundamental Baptist church you've heard me mention, and seeing sometimes the same people going forward for prayer or maybe rededicating their lives to Christ, getting it right with God, getting right with God. I also certainly remember certain people looking sideways at those people who kept going forward. And I remember them thinking, man, you got right last Sunday and the Sunday before that. When are you going to get it right? You're just looking for attention. Turns out, those people that went forward over and over and over had it right all along. We fall down. We get up. We fall down. We get up. Some are just more honest about their skin knees than others. I also like the ideas of, of letting things go in the new year. Listen, folks. I do a sermon that talks, uh, I talk a lot about, you know, the dog goes back to its vomit and, and it's a gross thing for most people. It actually is in the Bible. You, listen, you can't keep going back to your junk. You leave your hurts, habits, and hang-ups at the cross. You turn and you walk away. You do not go back and get that big bag of hurts, habits, and hang-ups and carry it around with you because you're so used to it. You know what? Sometimes, and I'm terrible at this. I'm, I'm going to be real honest with you. Here's me revealing my skin knees. Sometimes I struggle with letting go. But you've got to let go of things in 2015. Learn from them. Stop beating yourself up about the goals that were shoulds because they might have been to please somebody else or society's idea of what you should have achieved. Yochanan the baptizer or immerser, John the Baptist, somehow he knew what he should start so that Yeshua could finish. You know, society for that matter... Really, I talk about this in the book, uh, Excellence Kill the Church, How Mediocrity is Destroying America. The postmodern emergent church would never regard Yochanan the Immerser as a success. No, they wouldn't. John the Baptist or Yochanan the Immerser seemed to be crazy. And let's be honest, how many people do you know running around right now preaching hardcore the Word of God are viewed by people in our own circles, Christian circles, as man, that dude is fringe. 
That dude is fringe. You know what they said about Reggie White before he died? Some in his own family. Reggie White pursued a you know, famous football player. Reggie White was a Christian when he started in football. He was already a follower of Christ. But some he heard someone preach, and they talked about Hebrew origin, origin worldview, culture, and context, and he was bit, and that was that. He was in the process of teaching himself and learning from others the Hebrew way and Hebrew language. He was an aggressive and ardent student of Hebrew, biblical Hebrew, learning to read it, learning to write it, learning to speak it, learning to pray it. He was becoming fully Torah observant, not to check off a box, but so that he could follow fully and completely in obedience and worship to Christ to do that, to honor God in that way. That was his thing. He died in his sleep. He died in his sleep, and they say the man before, he was always a happy, happy guy, but the day before he died, now he had no idea he was going to die. Wasn't terminally ill, none of that stuff. He just died in his sleep. They say the day before he died, he had a peace about him. He was always a peaceful person. Hard to believe, right? 300 and some pound guy that was called the Ministry of Defense. He was he'd sack people relentlessly on the football field to be so peaceful. Somebody asked him or asked his wife actually after he died, "Why was you know, I bumped into Reggie yesterday. Oh, he was so peaceful." And she said, "You know, Reggie let go every day of his failures. He just let it go. He would let it go. I failed. Father, help me not to fail again. Help me to achieve. Help me to reach fuller and higher for you. Sometimes, folks, you've got to let go. But you know what? They said Reggie White, a lot of people. You know, Reggie White, as you might remember, those who were football fans, Reggie White you know, was such a great personality, he translated very well to national TV. And all of a sudden, Reggie White dropped off of national TV. There's a reason why. It's not because he wasn't great. It's not because people didn't love to hear him give his two cents about, you know, commentary about the game. It's because he said, you know, Reg is getting kind of crazy. Love him. Sweet man. Good heart. He's getting kind of crazy. Tim Tebow. They'll take every chance they get to say, you know, yeah, Tim's a nice guy and all, but Tim, Tim Little... You know, a little too much, even Christian. Air quotes, Christian. No, John the Baptist or Yochanan the Immerser, he would not be viewed by the modern, postmodern church as a success. Screaming from the wilderness and preaching while wearing animal skins and chomping on locusts and eating honey. Preaching about all kinds of things nobody wanted to hear about. Repentance. Changing your life, turning away from what you should have never. Let me tell you this. Paint what God tells you to paint. Sing what God tells you to sing. Say what God tells you to say. Preach what God tells you to preach. Work well at the, God, at the job God tells you to work. Worship how and where God tells you to worship no matter where. Serve how and where God tells you to serve no matter where. Fight the battles God ordains you to fight no matter the cost. No matter what. Start being what God made you to be. 
You are to be a warrior for life, your life, freedom. You are to fight and be and do what God has set in place for you to do. You know what? You have to fight like you mean it. You have to fight like it's a no-matter-what moment. You have to fight like you're fighting for something worth fighting for. You know, it's interesting to me how God works. It's amazing to me how he works. This very day in my inbox, my professor, my seminary professor, Dr. Skip Moen, posted the following on his blog, At God's Table. You go to that. I'm telling you, the man, Dr. Skip Moen has a huge footprint on the Internet. If you just type that name in, it will take you right to it. Dr. Skip Moen or Arthur J. Moen, famous Oxford Ph.D. He was one of my professors in seminary. He wrote this today. This is, the, this is today. Now, this message was finished before today. I pursued my enemies and overtook them, and I did not turn back until they were consumed. I shattered them so that they were not able to rise. They fell under my feet. Psalm eighteen thirty-seven and 38. That's the New American Standard. I shattered them. What enemies must you pursue? What opponents must you utterly defeat? What must be crushed so that it will never rise again? If you're like me, it's unlikely to be some alien carrying a weapon. If you're like me, the enemy that must be conquered resides in your own house. It is indeed the beast within. We would be glad to take up arms against an invading army sometimes. How much easier would it be to spot the attackers if they were on the other side of the trench? We would know where to aim. But what do we do when that hideous force that seems to lurk in the shadows of our own hearts? How do we thrust them through? David may have had the Philistines in mind, but I suspect David also knew a, a different kind of combatant. Imhatsen. I smashed them. Cannot apply to those who to only to those whose swords and shields stand before us. What we really need to conquer is the power that oppresses us when all the external foes have been ex- if we read this verse out of context, it might seem as though the battle is up to us. We might pursue. We might not turn back. We might shatter and smash, and in a sense this is true. But the prior 10 verses make it clear that David's power to overcome is the power of Yahweh working through him. David states, you rescue, you are the rock, you make me strong, you train me, you give me shield and sword. The battle is not mine alone, but we often think it is. The Yitzhir Hara cleverly convinces us that we are acceptable to Yahweh after we have persevered. Of course, that always spells defeat, and we are left convicted by our own collapse. Convinced that we will never be enough to overcome this enemy within. We try our best, but his tactics always outwit us. His strength is always just a bit more than we can vanquish. His ruthlessness more severe than we anticipated. We are ambushed by our own assumptions. Those earliest parental models that that sometimes left us feeling we could never be enough become the fodder of growing despair. The strategy of Yetzir Hara is self-protection, and that means giving up the fight. It is easier to retreat than endure, but God presses us. He presses us into battle in spite of our reluctance. He presses us towards visions of righteousness, victory, and peace in spite of our distortions. He presses and presses and presses until the form fits the mold, until 
we come to realize that we were powerless on our own, that we can only shatter the enemy when we have replaced the weapon of our choice with the sword of his choosing. Oh, we still have to cut and slice. We still have to shed some blood, perhaps even our own. But I smashed them isn't a statement of personal achievement. It is a statement of dependent victory, of his reinforcements, my energy, and your encouragement. In Hatsim, ah, it feels so good. Listen, I want to encourage you today and every day of 2016 to live as though every day, every single day of 2016, as though you are fighting, actually fighting for your life. Trust me on this. If you do your part to shatter your enemies, God will do his part. You know what? History is watching. Join us next time for Sundays with Dr. Sean. And please follow this show and the Collision of Faith and Politics radio show during the week at www.blogtalkradio.com forward slash the ninja pastor and follow dr sean on twitter at the ninja pastor and on facebook at www.facebook.com forward slash god in country radio and check out all the free messages archive shows and buy dr sean's critically acclaimed book excellence killed the church how mediocrity is destroying america at www drshawngreener.com Join us during the week. And in the meantime, Dr. Sean will be fighting for you and for this great country. Thank you for joining us in this fight.